Okay, won't you open your Bible with me? Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. How many know Jesus the friend of sinners? You've messed up in life, Jesus a friend. You know, not many people are really good friends. You know, we have fair weather friends. They're great when things are going well and they disappear when things are going bad. And the Bible tells us we have someone who's the friend of sinners. If you've ever made a mistake, there's a person who's your friend. I want you to uh, say, I want to share with you simple, th- simple things about Jesus Christ. I want to share with you four simple things. We're going to look in a couple of, st- uh, one story in, in the Bible. In the verse, uh, chap- chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. One of the first things we need to see about Jesus Christ is he had a very clear purpose in his life on earth. I have uh, learned over the years how important it is for us to have a clear sense of direction and purpose. We watched a video clip one time and they asked young people, what is their purpose in life? What is your purpose for being here? Why are you here? Purpose is about why you're here. Why are you on this earth breathing air? What are you here for? And if you have no purpose, then you drift through life. It was extraordinary to hear what some of these young people said. Some of them, you know, I'm here to party. Well, goodness me, what do you get to the end of the life and all you've had is a party? What eternal benefit, what eternal value does that have? So one of the things about Jesus, you notice here, is he had purpose, a clear sense of purpose. And God has a purpose for every one of us. That purpose can only be discovered as we connect with him. We need to know why God has placed us on this earth. Why did God place you in Napier or Hastings? Why has you placed you here? What does he want to accomplish through your life? God has something for you to do. Jesus' life was continually ministered out of a sense of purpose. He was a man empowered by a sense of mission. I am here. When Jesus spoke several times, he said, the Father has sent me. So he lived his life as someone commissioned and sent. If you're in a high school, God wants you to know he has sent you to that particular school. You're sent by God. You're there and you have a purpose in your life. You have a purpose for living. Something that every day when you get up, it grips you. Your purpose can't be just to get through the day. Your purpose can't be just to get through the week. Your purpose can't be just a party at the end of the week. It has to be something of much greater note than that. The Bible tells us of Jesus, he was carried by a purpose that he would seek out, he would search for and discover people who were lost and bring them into an encounter, a relationship with the living God. He was gripped by an eternal purpose. There was a uh, movie I saw recently, and I'll share and refer to it a little bit tonight. I don't know how many people saw it, called The Guardian. Anyone see that movie, The Guardian? One or two saw it. Okay, it was a great movie. I like movies, but I always look for more than just the movie. I enjoy the entertainment, look for more than the movie. But in the, this, this movie, The Guardian, which is a, uh, just currently screening at the moment, yeah, it's got uh, Kevin Costner in it. But uh, what it is, is these people are involved in the U.S. Coast Guard. And they have a purpose, and their purpose is to save people who are at sea in a storm. When the army won't go out, the air force won't go out, the navy won't go out, the coast guard goes out to rescue those who are in a storm. I know we've never seen a great storm or ever been in a ship in a great storm. It's the most horrendous thing to be in a boat in a storm and in danger of sinking. And so this coast guard, its purpose is to rescue people. And so in order to rescue people, they have to have the equipment. But the core of it is they require what are called swimmers. Swimmers are a person that they drop into the ocean. The person like that has to be highly trained because they drop into the ocean, the raging sea near to a boat, and then the person will swim to the boat and attach a lifeline to people and help them 
come to a place of safety. And in this movie, one of the interesting things is there's a young man in there, and he is gripped with a, a purpose. In his heart, there's this driving thing. I have got to train and become a swimmer. And, and right through this movie, you see this young guy get caught up with the whole training process. But he is captured with a vision for his life. And his purpose in life is to become a swimmer. And later on in the movie, it tracks back why his purpose is so. Why? The guy asks him, why are you here? And the guy tracks down why he's there. And it tracks right back to when he's younger and uh, when he was in school at college. And he was involved in a car accident. He was the driver of a car. And three of his friends were killed in the crash that he had. And that crash became a turning point for his life. It became a turning point because he began to realize that the people around him had died and he had lived. And he had a sense, a burning sense, of needing to have a purpose of helping and saving other people. Some of you young ones would have known friends or people that have died in a car crash. They were lost forever. When you see something like that, it needs to challenge us with a sense of purpose that I could make a difference with my life to one young person. I could make a difference with my life. I could be caught with a purpose. Think of that accident that happened just a while ago, and those four young people plowed into a tree, and the car was written off, and there was this <clears throat> tremendous sorrow hit the whole of our area because of these young people that died. But there are other people who are also on their way to death. And really, God's looking for those who'll swim, those who'll get in and take the plunge and make themselves available to rescue those who are just headlong running to an accident that's inevitable. So I, I was quite challenged with the whole thing of this film because this young man was caught with a vision that he would actually spend his life and he would train and he would prepare. He had a vision that his life would be used to save people who were about to perish. I wonder if such a vision and such a mission would grip you. It gripped Jesus Christ. When he came into this earth, he was gripped with a similar vision, a passion. And so, like a swimmer, he was dropped from heaven into the earth into the raging storms of humanity in order that he might rescue people, he might rescue you, might rescue the person next to you, might rescue the one after. They asked this young guy, how do you know who to rescue? And he said, this is who you rescue. You rescue the one that's nearest to you. He said, what about the others? And he said, well, often the sea will take them. But you just do what you can with the one that's nearest to you. And uh, just tremendous challenge, tremendous, uh, I just enjoyed so much seeing that movie, the tremendous challenge to enter the whole thing of these things. They had to enter into a hostile environment. I mean, I, tell, I had a look at that movie and I thought, oh my God, look at those waves. You know, I mean, the boat's about to sink. There's no way I'm dropping in there. And yet that's actually what God calls us to do. He calls us to enter a hostile environment. An environment that's hostile to things of God, hostile to the gospel, hostile to spiritual matters. God calls us to enter into that and to give people a hope. Friend, if you've come to know Jesus Christ, you already have within you a testimony of the power of God to save. If you don't have a testimony of the power of God to save, then you're in a stormy sea and you're going to a destruction and you need someone to reach out to you tonight. You see, always there's people around us who are like that. I found sometimes the movies are able to put in such a graphic way. We can walk by people day after day and never see them as people who are lost, people who are in desperate need. I found sometimes something like that in the movie, watching this boat, watching a fishing boat in these huge waves. 
just wallowing backwards and forward, laden down with fish and wallowing in the water. Obviously, the boat was about to sink. And the desperate cry of these men on the boat, needing someone who would come to them and offer them hope. Can you see our community like that? Can you see your friends like that? Can you get a picture that people around you are desperate? They're desperate for someone who'll take the risk and enter their environment and reach out to them and offer them hope. Not all will be saved, but there's someone near you that could be reached by you. And so Jesus was gripped with a purpose, and he wants us to have a similar purpose, that we might be like this, like the U.S. Coast Guard, a swimmer. Someone will enter the environment where people are and reach them with the love and the presence of God. Second thing about Jesus was not only to have purpose, his life was a prepared life. I want you to look with me in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. John 17, notice these two verses here. He's praying uh, for the disciples. He's praying for those who would be trained under his leadership, who would also enter a hostile environment with the purpose of saving others. And he said, sanctify them, verse 17, through your truth, for your word is truth. Sanctify means to set them apart, to prepare them. As you have sent me into the world, so now I send them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctified myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. They notice here that Jesus not only was gripped with a purpose, the second thing we see about his life is he prepared. He prepared in his life. When we read about Jesus, we find there were only three years that he ministered publicly. That meant there were 30 years of preparation, 30 years when you didn't see him, 30 years behind the scenes when he was preparing for the, his moment, his hour, when he would emerge into his mission to save people. And so there was a process of preparation. What kind of things may have happened in that process of preparation? I think, number one, attitudes. He developed attitudes to life, attitudes to spiritual things. Some of the people around you have no value at all on spiritual things, no value on eternity. He, va he developed a, a value on eternity, a value of people. Do you value the people around you? Do you value them? How much do you value them? Did William take a risk for them? The second thing he must have developed was a life of prayer. Long before he appeared in public ministry, he would have prepared himself in prayer, developing intimacy, developing a relationship with the Father in preparation for the day he'd be launched out and when he would begin his mission, his public mission, to reach out and save people. Third thing he must have done is he must have immersed himself in the Word of God. He must have come to know the Scriptures because time and time again he would just quote, quote Scriptures. He didn't carry parchments around with him. The Word was in his heart. He would have memorized Scripture. He would have memorized and got a hold of the principles of God, the words of God. He did the preparation in his personal life. So when he was able to be launched out into his public ministry, he was ready to bring words of life. Not just head knowledge, but words worked into his own life because he had learned to obey those words and to respond to those words. Finally, he must have also developed in the area, he must have developed in the area of obedience to the Father. Bible tells very clearly there's an insight to him as a young man. And it tells us he was at 12 years. He was down in the temple and he wanted to be about the father's business. He wanted to train and prepare for his life mission. And his natural parents did not understand that. So they commanded him to come with them. And the Bible says he submitted himself to them. Young people, perhaps you don't think your parents understand you. Jesus' parents didn't understand him, but he submitted to them. And the Bible says he grew in grace and in, in wisdom and in favor with God and with man. So even when people don't understand us, we need to learn how to submit to authorities over us. There's, there's a period in our life where we have to prepare if we're going to do anything great with our life. 
Young people, this is your time to prepare your life, to prepare your life for greatness, prepare your life for something that will last for eternity, prepare your life for something that will have an impact on people. Now's the days of preparing. You're at school. You're in a place of preparation, place of learning, a place of chance to grow, chance to train your mind, chance to learn new skills. It's a chance for you to grow. It's a chance to prepare because it's a day when God is wanting to launch you out. In the movie, they had to go through a process of training. And it was intense training for all swimmers. They enrolled heaps of people in this course. And they got this old Coast Guard, Kevin Costner, and he had to train them. And he was tough. You know, when we look in the gospel, Jesus said, he said, go make disciples. A lot of people are willing to say, I'll come to church. But God wants people that will be willing to be trained and be able to reach out to people and save them. And so these guys come in and they, they come into a training school and they're all full of dreams. And uh, what happens is they have to go through a discipline. They have to go through a training process. Training process was very rigorous. It tested them physically, tested them emotionally, tested them mentally. There was one point there where he wanted them. He put them in this great big pool, filled it up with uh, ice. And uh, they're in there shivering and having to hold and stand together. And the guy comes in and says, what are you doing? He says, supposed to be teaching them. And he says, well, I am. I'm teaching them about hypothermia. And in about two minutes, they know exactly what it is. In other words, the life training that he gave them was a training with experience, not just with head knowledge. For him, it wasn't enough that they just went through and reading a book about hypothermia. He got them into a tank and he got them to feel what it's like to be so cold that the hypothermia comes on you and you begin to understand it. Then you can recognize it. See, the life training that God has for us is an experience. It's not just that we learn a lot of Bible verses. I know heaps of people know Bible verses and they're absolutely no use to God at all. They just have knowledge, but they've never translated the knowledge into experience. Learn how to obey God. Learn how to live under someone else's speaking into their life. Have you got someone speaking into your life? Have you permitted someone to push you, to push you, to make demands on you, to push you to go further in prayer, to push you to obey, to push you to do the things that need to be done to become great with your life? And how will you ever become great with your life unless you submit to the process of training? See, people love to come to great meetings. But it's not in great meanings you're trained for life. You're trained for life in private. You're trained when someone speaks into you. You're trained when you learn to obey. You're trained when you learn to hang in when everyone else around you is quitting. And God's looking for people like that. He's looking for people that will train, willing, willing to make their lives available to God to train them, someone in the church to train them. Everyone needs that. So Jesus said, make disciples. He wanted us to be submitted to a process of training whereby our lives can count in impacting others. I know heaps of believers, they love God, love to come to church, but when it comes to their life counting, it doesn't count for anything because they won't let anyone train them. Won't let anyone speak into their life. Friend, have you got someone speaking into your life? you submitted to a training process? Or you love to come and think of great things but never go through the training? This guy in this movie puts them under intense pressure, and under the pressure, some of them quit. Some of them say, it's too tough, it's too hard. In one place there, they had this thing where they had to work as a team. And the pressure came on them to work as a team. And you see one by one, people dropping off who weren't team players. So pressure is good for us. And so these guys, you see, the reason he put them on the training was this. He said, one day someone's life will depend on you. And we're going to know that when that time comes and their life depends on you, that you're not going to draw back and you're not going to withhold and you're not going to try and protect yourself. You'll go the full distance because you've already submitted to the training process and been proven. 
What a tremendous challenge that is for us. So Jesus had three and a half years with his disciples, training them, preparing them for the time when they would go forth. Jesus himself was prepared. Young people, you want life to be great? Don't just dream about it. Do something about it. Submit to the process of preparation. Want to be a great musician? Friend, you'll never just stand up on there and be a great musician. You've got to submit to the training process. You want to be great in any field of life? Submit to the training process. Then one day will come your day and you'll be ready to go forth. And God's wanting us to go forth. He wants us to make a difference with our life. Here's the third thing he did. Jesus positioned himself to impact lives. Jesus positioned himself to impact life. First, he had clear purpose. Second, he prepared. And thirdly, he positioned himself. I want you to look with me Luke chapter 15. And the first two verses. It says, Then, then drew near to him, that's Jesus, all the publicans and the sinners to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners, and he even eats with them. And then Jesus told them a parable. Notice the people that are drawing near Jesus. The Bible tells they were sinners. They were people who had ignorance of the ways of God. They were people just like the people out on the street, people who are your friends, people who got no interest, no real thing about God, but they're curious about spiritual matters. They're curious about eternity. They're curious about the supernatural world. There's, a, there's something in them missing, and they're curious. But basically, there are people who failed in life. Second group of people were publicans. They were tax collectors. They were people that they despised because they considered they were, they'd betrayed the cause. And, and so these kind of people, everyone hated and despised them. And, and one of Jesus, one of the complaints that was directed about Jesus was he's friends of all the wrong people. He's friends of the sinners and the tax collectors. He's a friend of them. That's the thing about Jesus. He, he is a friend of people. And so how did he become a friend of them? Very, very simple. He initiated relationship with people. Jesus initiated relationships. If you're going to actually invade and have any impact in reaching people, you have to initiate. Say, a leader is one who initiates. God calls you to initiate. Jesus initiated things. Many times things just happened in his life as a result of prayer. Other times he initiated things. He initiated touching lives. He initiated talking to people. Notice what he did here. He entered their world and connected with them. He entered the world of sinners and connected with them. He came from heaven into this earth, and then when he would walk on the earth, he entered where people are. How can you reach people if you won't enter their world? How can you reach people if you won't engage them and initiate discussion and talk with them? And so we notice Jesus did a number of things. He entered their world and connected with people. The second thing he did, he refused to allow there to be any barriers. Notice what they said of him. He received people. He welcomed them. Now listen to me. You can tell if someone welcomes you. And you can tell if someone tolerates you. You feel it. You get near someone and you can feel it. You feel it when they tolerate you. You know, they're being polite. They're being nice. They're just being, they're doing the thing that has to be done. But you can feel inside they haven't reached out in their spirit and welcomed you into their world. They're just sort of tolerating you. How many people know that experience? But Jesus wasn't like that, you say. Jesus welcomed people into his world. See, he didn't have any judgments against them. He didn't look at a person and say, you're a tax collector, put a wall in his heart and tolerate him and talk nicely to him. He actually reached out and he genuinely welcomed the person because he saw their value. You can't reach people if you tolerate them. And so one of the difficulties we have as believers is we've got to break out of some of these areas where we tolerate people or have mindsets. Young people... One of the greatest challenges to you is the issue of cliques. You ever been on the outside of a clique? Yeah? You're the outsider. 
They all talk to one another and you're on the outside. No way you can break your way in. Someone's got to make you welcome. Now, one of the worst things we could have is to have you form cliques. And so new people coming don't feel welcome. When that happens, you cease to be of any effect for advancing the kingdom of God. You cease to be a swimmer. You cease to be someone engaged in saving people. You're now a part of the reason they're sinking. Think about it. Think about it. See, so it's an attitude of heart. I found continually it's an attitude of heart towards God to keep our heart free from judging any person and being able to celebrate and welcome people, whether they're old people, whether they're young people, whether they're single people, whether they're Maori people, island people, no matter what they are. One of the things, you know one of the things that people know is they always can tell your heart attitude to them. When I first went among the Chinese and uh, I said, Lord, I don't even understand Chinese. I don't think I even like them. This sort of market gardeners, you know, I don't know about Chinese people at all, you know. So I I wasn't really sure how I was going to do when I went over there. And the Lord said, and I I waited on the Lord for a little while, and he spoke to me. And he said to me, he said, there's some things I want you to do. And if you'll do these things consistently, then you'll find an entry into the heart of Chinese people. And I said, well, what is that? He said, number one, you need to love them and embrace them. And that means that you touch them and hug them. I said, well, Lord, you don't do that with Chinese people. No one does that. He said, you do it. Love them openly and in a way that's tangible and visible. Embrace them in your heart. He said, secondly, teach them systematically or logically because they have a very strong left-brain mind and they'll work off logic. And if you teach logically, you'll open up their mind. He said, if you love them, you'll open up their heart. And he said, "If if you move in the power of God, you'll open up their spirit. And I have just followed those things faithfully for the last 20 years. And God has given great favor among Chinese people. You see, you've got to find a way into the hearts of people. And the only way to find a way into the heart of people is to have no judgments, no reserves about reaching and about the value of that person. Listen, you can imagine if you're a Coast Guard and there you are and you're up in the helicopter and it's stormy and you're going to have to let go in a moment. You're going to have to jump down into sea. You're going to have to put your life at risk. And then you take a look at someone on that boat and you say, I don't like him. I don't like him. I'm not jumping. You see, the thing is, You don't even know who they are. You're not called to like them. You're called to act on their behalf. Called to act on their behalf. Think about that. It doesn't matter whether you like them. See, a lot of people just live out of opinions and out of what they like or what they prefer. But God wants you to live out of a conviction that every lost person is important to God and worth plunging in and risking something to reach. Think about that. Someone plunged in and reached you. Someone swam to you. Someone overcame your resistance. Someone overcame your bad attitude. Someone overcame your opposition. Someone overcame. Someone pushed through and overcame, and you're here. You're here because someone swam to you. Someone overcame the resistance. Someone made themselves available to God and jumped in when no one else would reach to you. Come on, think about that. Think of Bill over there. Someone reached Bill when he was about 65. Is that right? 65. Dear God, 65. And there it is. Someone reaches out to him. See? See, he knows what Jesus did. He welcomed people. He received them and he ate with them. He engaged with them in life. And then the other thing was he, he totally talked with them. Now, get this. If you haven't prepared, you ain't got much to talk about. If you haven't prepared, you haven't got much to talk about. And so I listen to the chatter that goes on among a lot of young people. It's just mindless, empty stuff. Now, that's all right to a point. But listen, you need to have something to talk about. Something that can change someone's life. 
something that challenges them to think about purpose and think about eternity. You need to have some. Otherwise, why would anyone listen to you? Notice what it says there in the first verse. It said, they all drew near to listen to what he had to say because he had something to say that was challenging and different. Now, listen, if you can articulate some convictions and beliefs and say why, people listen. They may not always agree or accept, but they listen. You've got to prepare so you've got something to say. Have you prepared? Have you done the training? Have you got the Word of God in your heart? Have you put in the time of prayer? Have you got something to give to someone that they'd want to listen to what you have to say? And that means sometimes you've got to anticipate the arguments and then prepare some answers. People ask some weird questions. They ask all kinds of things. So you've got to prepare so you know what to say. You have to think it through because you're called to do this. You're called to do this. You're called to do this. This is a great calling, tremendous calling. It's Jesus' challenge. It's his challenge to us to partnership with him in reaching souls for Christ. In the movie, it's quite interesting. The, uh, in, this, in, in this, they, they actually had, the way they got to save people was they got on their helicopter, got the equipment, they flew out. They flew out. They literally initiated finding where people were. Notice what Jesus said, come to seek and save the lost. So what he did was, in, in the Coast Guard, they went out and then they initiated finding where people were. And once they found where people were, then they had to make the decision to drop in the water and then swim to the boat and swim to the person to help the person. And then try and arrange for the person then to get the, uh, they, they would drop down the cable, drop down a basket, they'd attach them into the basket and then hoist them up into the helicopter. Think about that. Think about that. You had to actually initiate. See? No, no, no lost person comes to you and say, when a person's out in a boat, they don't come to you, you go to them. When the boat's sinking, you've got to go to them. You've got to go to them. So when you look around at your friends, they might look fine, but what you've got to realize is they're only one breath away from an eternity without God one breath. Would you be a swimmer? Would you get in? Would you go into the hostile armor? Would you do the training needed to become the kind of person God can use to reach out to such people? Think about that, say, and do you have something to offer them? Can you help them? Say, can you share the gospel? Do you even know what the gospel is? Do you know how to share? Here it is. Suppose, suppose young people, just think about this. You're driving down the roads like, like one Saturday evening. As you come around the corner, there it is. Right up there is a car upside down in the road. And there's a guy lying out there sprawled. And you can see he's not going to live. And you've got two minutes. Can you share the gospel with such a man? Do you know what to say? There was a test they gave some uh, people who were wanting to be chaplains in the army. And they got them all in the room one at a time. And this is what they said. There's a man in front of you dying. He's got two minutes. What will you say to him? Two minutes before he passes on to eternity, what will you say? Can you save him? Can you save him? Can you bring a message to him that he can respond to? Can you do it? I had such a situation happen to me one time, uh, something similar to that. I had, I had this uh, man had uh, had an accident. He was, uh, he was quite badly injured and uh, eventually went to a hospital. And I heard he'd gone to this hospital. And as it turned out, I was going up through Auckland. I called in to see him and the man had dropped into a coma. He dropped into a coma. He was unconscious. And so he couldn't help himself. He was absolutely helpless. He got all the tubes and everything all in him. And, and I had a few moments there and I said, God, you've got to show me what to do. What can I do? And then I, I remembered something I'd learned. 
And so I began to speak to him while he's unconscious. I shared the gospel with him. I shared it very briefly. I shared exactly what was required. Then I said, I'm going to pray the sinner's prayer. I took a hold of his hand, even though he's unconscious. And I said, inside, I know that you hear this in your spirit. What I want you to do is I want you inside yourself, as you hear me speak and as you hear me pray, I want you just to say yes in agreement to what I've prayed. And so I prayed the sinner's prayer. I felt nothing. I heard nothing. And I left him. Over the weekend, when I came back through on Monday, he died. And I was quite disappointed about that. And then they said, oh, well, he woke up. And when he woke up, he said that he had been touched by God while he was out to him. About that. Say, you know what to do. What would you do? You know what to do. You need to learn what to do. Why? Because someone depends on you learning. Someone depends on you going to them. Think about that. Think about that. Let's finish with the last thing. What do you see down here in verse uh, 4 through to verse 7? What man of you then, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them and doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And then he comes home, he calls together all his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you, likewise, there be joy in heaven over one sinner that repents, more than 99 that have no need of repentance. See? See, now here's the last thing. We need to prioritize. In this parable, Jesus makes it very clear what his priority is. He makes it very clear what his priority is. You see, if I had one member of my family who's gone missing... We had this happen one time. We were at a camp, and uh, we, we had a look around. There's one of them has gone fa- missing. It was Jeremy. Couldn't find him anywhere. Now, get this. When we sat down at the table, I didn't say, well, at least five of the six are here. We're fine. You don't think that way. What do you think? What do you think? Where's the one that's lost? Where's the one that's lost? See, we no need to worry about the ones that were there. What we needed to worry about was the one that was lost. So we had a search party went out. We went out everywhere, and we were, at, we were out there. We were out there for about two hours, and finally we found him. You understand? And, and do you think we were happy? Do you think everyone was happy? We're all happy we found him. We're all very, very happy that we found him. You see, now, what, what Jesus is saying here is, he says the priority is the one that's lost. And he calls the people who are lost still his sheep. Listen, every person in this region belongs to Jesus Christ. He paid the price for them. They're his sheep, but they're lost. He wants to find them. Now, you notice then he prioritized. The highest priority is not you getting a blessing because you've already come to Christ. The highest priority in God's economy is that a lost person come to know him. And so we must learn to set priorities in our life, a major, major thing. See, many things demand your time. There's lots of urgent things, lots of things are pushing on you. You've got to prioritize what is important to me. Now, listen, let me tell you one key, one of the most important keys. There are a lot of urgent things. Find out what's the most important thing, and particularly the most important thing God wants you to do with your life. And then say, that's the thing I'll put first all the time. All the time, that'll be first. All the time, that'll be first. Notice it says he, he goes after it till he finds it. In other words, he does these things. He tracks the lost sheep down. He persuades it to come back, because often sheep don't want to come back when they got lost. He shoulders responsibility, puts it on his shoulder. He takes the responsibility of saving the sheep, and he brings it back in to the rest of the flock. See what he did? He tracked it down, persuaded it to respond, got it on his shoulders and took the weight of responsibility and then brought it back into the flock. 
In other words, what Jesus does, he calls every one of us to track down people that are lost, people that God's brought into our life, people that God wants you to reach out to. He wants you to track them down, find them, locate them. You're on a mission to do it, to engage them in various ways so that they become persuaded to respond. And then you take the responsibility. You bring them into the house of God. You bring them into God's people. You bring them into gatherings where you know that they'll be impacted. You bring them to where others are full of the life of God. Why? Because that's what it takes to save people. It's quite interesting in the, in the movie. Just finish this last thing in the movie. They had to actually track down where the boat was. They had to make connection with the boat. They had to persuade the people to actually respond and cooperate with them. And then they had to wait until the person was launched to safety. What an amazing thing. And it was quite interesting. While they're in the helicopter doing this, way back in the movie, and it shows you the movie, you see the control center. And they're watching everything that's happening over the air. They're watching it over TV cameras. And when they saved that person out of the boat, everyone in the control center rejoiced. And the Bible says that when you reach out and save a sinner, everyone in heaven rejoices over the one that you saved. It's like heaven's the control center. It's looking and it's watching and seeing whether you fulfill your destiny and save someone, whether you reach out and touch people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the friend of sinners, and he wants you to be like that man was in the Coast Guard, be willing to submit to the training, be caught up with a purpose. My life will count for something. Prioritize your life, and then initiate connection to see lost people come to know him.